Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The land of Israel was named Palestine for almost 2,000 years until statehood in May of 1948. But it's not because the, the Palestinians were there or the ancient Philistines were there, actually. So they are laying this illegitimate claim not just to the land, but more specifically Jerusalem, and even more specific, they lay claims to the Temple Mount. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of First Chronicles. As Pastor J.D. continues to teach through the book of First Chronicles, he'll be helping us to understand why there's such contention over the land of Jerusalem. Satan will stop at nothing to try and make God out to be a liar. If he can create doubt in the minds of people by making it seem like God's promises can't be fulfilled, he'll stop at nothing to do it. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Uh, for those of you who went to Israel with us, uh, you're familiar with the geographical location of many of the places that we're going to be revisiting here. Then verse 2, the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, Saul's sons. So out of the shoot here we're sort of reintroduced to Saul, Israel's first king, and with him the Philistines, who were, and in some ways, as we'll talk about here in a moment, still are the arch enemy of Israel. Nothing new under the sun in the sense that the ancient Philistines have been reinvented and remanufactured as the arch enemy of Israel today by way of the so-called Palestinians. Now I hope you know, and for those of you who have been attending here for any length of period of time, you understand that there's no such thing as a Palestinian. And we're going to look into that tonight. I really wanted to take a little bit of time, if you don't mind, and explain why the Philistine or the Palestinian is a myth, really a deception. Philistine, please know, is uh, transliterated to the, the, the word we use today as Palestinian. In 1997, my wife and I, this is BC, not before Christ, before children, uh, when we could travel, and we did travel, uh, and we went to Jordan and Egypt, and as soon as we got off the airplane and the cab driver picked us up in Arabic, my native tongue, he asked me if I was Philistine. And what he was asking me was, are you Palestinian? And because I wanted to get to the hotel alive, I told him I was. <laughs> so we arrived safely, obviously. But, so, but this is where the word Palestinian comes from. And this is where it comes in terms of the land we know to be Palestine. 
And so today we know the Palestinians as those who lay a false claim, an illegitimate claim to the land. Uh, they uh, believe that and children from a young age are taught that the Jews took their land, the land that belongs to the Palestinians, that the land is not the land of Israel, the land does not belong to Israel, the land is Palestine, and as such it belongs to the Palestinians. Even some of your Bibles, uh, if you look in the back, if you have Bible maps, you'll find there it'll, it'll call the land Palestine. Now, there's a reason it, it was named, and we're going to see why here in a moment. There's a reason why the land of Israel was named Palestine for almost 2,000 years until statehood in May of 1948. But it's not because the, the Palestinians were there or the ancient Philistines were there, actually. So they are laying this illegitimate claim, not just to the land, but more specifically Jerusalem, and even more specific, they lay claims to the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock, also known as the Mosque of Omar. It is very important to understand that in the Qur'an there is not even one mention of Jerusalem, not even one, not even one. There is a vague reference, and when you try to challenge a Muslim on this, uh, they will cite a verse in the Qur'an that says, the far off land, and they say, well that's Jerusalem. Are you really? <laughs> that, that's your one ambiguous reference to Jerusalem, and that is what you're staking your, your claim to Jerusalem on? Is this one vague and ambiguous reference? I've recommended this book in the past, and I want to, uh, for those of you who have not read it, I do have to warn you, it is not an easy read. You can get it on Amazon. It's written by Ramon Bennett. It's titled Philistine, The Great Deception. Uh, when, when I read it through the first time, this is many years ago when I was on the mainland, uh, it was so intense uh, because I, I'm reading about the Arab people. These are my my countrymen. These are my my people. These are fellow Arabs. And what they did to the Jews, it was so grievous. There were so many times where I just had to put the book down and walk away and just pray and listen to worship music and get into the Word and sort of, you know, kind of renew my mind a little bit. And, and then I could go back and tackle it. And uh, I want to uh, quote from it because he really thoroughly documents this Philistine myth, this deception, that there is no such thing as a Palestinian, and he cites the reason why it's called Palestine. So he says, in 130 AD, the Romans renamed Jerusalem uh, Elia Capitolina after the emperor uh, Ilias Hadri Hadrianus and the god Jupiter Capitolinus. The Romans kept Ilia Capitolina as their name for Jerusalem and renamed the promised land Syria Palestina. See, as was the custom in ancient times when you would conquer a city, 
you would name it after the arch enemy of the people you just conquered. And thus, the arch enemy being the Philistines, they named it after that arch enemy. He goes on to say the renaming of the land was an overt effort to eradicate the Jewish connection. After the Muslim conquest of Palestina in the 7th century AD, the name Elia Capitolina gradually faded from use. And in due process of time, Palestina, the Latin form of Philistia, the land of the ancient Philistines, was anglicized into Palestine. To the question of the Palestinians being in the land or having a right to the land, Bennett writes, the Jews purchased tracts of land from those few Arabs who actually own land, and only, listen, 3% of the land called Palestine at the time was owned by Arabs in 1948. 9% was owned by Jews. 17% was abandoned land, and the remaining 71% was empty crown or state land vested in the British mandatory government. Often the Jews paid exorbitant sums of money for what was considered useless land, malaria infested swamps. And they created and built kibbutzes and fulfilled, as Amir shared uh, last week, Ezekiel 36 and 37. And now it is the land flowing with milk and honey. And again, for those of you who went to Israel with us, you saw firsthand. It is so beautiful. It used, it used to be a barren land. Uh, it was, I found it interesting that Amir would quote uh, Mark Twain, who went to uh, Israel uh, in the 1800s and wrote in his uh, diary about how that you could look for miles and not see a soul. And yet the so-called Palestinians will say that when the Jews came and occupied their land, that the Jews kicked them out of their land. Well, here's the thing. My family on my mom's side was from Israel at pre-statehood. My grandmother, my mom's mom, was born in Nazareth. How cool is that? <laughs> I mean, but Jesus of Nazareth, my mom was, my mom's mom was from Nazareth. Anyway, so I just feel so <laughs> close to the Lord. But anyway, I remember my first time I went to Nazareth, I was like, wow, my, my grandmother was born here. This is where Jesus was from, you know? Anyway, okay, I just wanted to uh, share that with you. So, um, so, but they, when in statehood, my grandmother, my mom's mom, moved to Jordan. She wasn't kicked out. She moved of her own volition. That was 1948. Now you fast forward to 1967, the Six Day War. And all of my family that, Lord, please, don't you find it interesting that when we're talking about something like this, that that starts up? Anyway, um, after the Six Day War in 1967, the rest of my family that were there moved to a small town in Jordan uh, named El Hosan, and that's where my mom was born. But they weren't kicked out. They moved and lived there of their own volition, and many thousands did. And my uh, parents were the first one to immigrate, legally by the way, 
to America when I was nine months old in 1963. And after that, they began to sponsor much of my family to America. They're all in the mainland in Spokane, Washington, and they were very fruitful and have multiplied. And now I have a huge, and I mean huge, last time we were there, they keep multiplying. They have a way of doing that. And so I have literally uh, probably over 400 uh, relatives that are that were sponsored to America by my mother and father, who were the first ones to sort of uh, pioneer that uh, bringing of the so-called Palestinian people from, uh, my dad was Egyptian, but my mother really Jordanian, but I was taught growing up that I was uh, Palestinian, and that the Jews were uh, occupying our land. So here's the question. Uh, if it was really never the land of the Palestinians, it was just named Palestine by the Romans, then where did the Palestinians come from? If they were never from the land or legitimately uh, belonging to the land? And I got to tell you that the answer for me was a game changer. Uh, early on in my uh, walk with the Lord, I really struggled with this. And it wasn't until I really started learning and understanding the Word of God that I really understood my roots. You know, because it was kind of like, who am I? What am I? People would say, what, what are you? I don't know. I need to find out who I am. I need to find out my roots. Well, basically I've come to the conclusion that I am simply an Arab. I'm not a Palestinian. Now, there can be a reference to Palestinians. And by the way, interesting, pre-statehood in 1948, the Jews were called Palestinians. They were Palestinian Jews. You have Palestinian Arabs, Palestinian Jews. Because they named them according to the land, the name of the land, see. So uh, when I really began to study this at an early age, th this was the, the best way that I could... Um, you know, reconcile it and understand it. You know how in with uh, dogs you have purebreds. You know, you have German shepherds, you have Australian shepherds. These are purebred dogs. Then you have mixed breed dogs. Uh, uh, we call them mutts. There's a word for it here in Hawaii. I did. I don't. I don't know what is it. Poi dogs. Yeah, poi dogs. So I. So basically, I figured it out. I'm a poi dog. <laughs> I'm a mutt. And I'll tell you how I get there. My dad was Egyptian. By the way. Egyptians don't like you to refer to them as Arabs. They are Egyptians. They speak a classic form of Arabic, but they are Egyptians first and foremost. What an Arab is, is a melting pot, a mixed breed, a poi dog, a mutt, a mixed breed of all of these different people groups, the Moabites, the Edomites, the, you know, all of the ites basically, all of these Arab people from these different tribes and tongues, and they all come together, and it's just a melting pot that we call today the Arabs. And that's, and by the way, Iran are not Arabs, they're Persians. They don't speak Arabic, they speak Farsi. So you have to understand kind of the, the dynamics of the Middle East. So let's uh, tackle this question real quick of where did the Palestinians actually uh, and Philistines, ancient Philistines, uh, actually come from. And thankfully, 
we need look no further than to the pages of Holy Writ for the origin of the ancient Philistines, and it's found in the book of Amos, uh, the book of Amos, chapter 9, verse 7, which says, Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, speaking of the Exodus? And listen, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kir. Oh, where, pray tell, is Kaftor? What's the geographical location? Well, the geographical location of Kaftor is known today as the island of Crete. And that's where God says he brought up the Palestinians from, the Philistines from, just as he brought the Israelites from Egypt into the land. And that's our next question, okay? So if they're from Kaftor, how did they end up in Canaan? Well, the answer to that is that they came in great numbers soon after the Israelites came to the land of Canaan from Egypt, and this was in the time of Abraham. Uh, I hope you don't mind me referencing constantly our trip to Israel, but I tell you, a trip to Israel is like a year in Bible college, because you just learn so much. Remember when we went to visit what they believe was the entrance to, to the city that Abraham walked through one of the oldest archaeological finds? And it, I mean, it, talk about chicken skin. I'll never forget the first time they visited that site. See, what's happening in Israel now is they constantly are discovering these new archaeological finds. And so there's even more now places that you can visit. Well, that's when the Philistines entered the land of Canaan. It was shortly after the Israelites came into the land during the time of Abraham. Okay, we still have another question to answer. How do we know that the Philistines are extinct? How do we know that there's no such thing as a Philistine today? By the way, keep in mind, uh, remember Goliath was a Philistine. Goliath was a Philistine. So there are no Philistines today. And we know that because of Amos chapter 1 verse 8, which says this, I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, I will turn my hand against Ekron, and listen, the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. There's another verse in Zephaniah chapter 2, 5, uh, verse 5, that is even more descriptive. It says, Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. Another translation renders it, so that none will remain. And that's how we know. They were cut off and destroyed according to the word of the Lord. Well, all of that from just the first two verses. Let's move a little quicker. Verse 3, the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, 
and he was wounded by the archers. Then, verse 4, Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men, speaking of the Philistines, come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So, verse 6, Saul, pardon me, and his three sons died, and all his house died together. Okay, I hope you understand that I prayed about tackling this. I figure while I'm at it, I might as well deal with this matter of suicide. It's actually one of the more often asked questions that I'm faced with. And I only bring it up because some believe that Saul had committed suicide here. Uh, others believe that he did not. And it is actually widely believed that he did not actually commit suicide by falling on his sword. Uh, and this account, though, is oftentimes used as and in the context of suicide. I am personally of the belief that Saul had already sustained a mortal wound. And as such, he simply wanted his armor bearer to hasten his inevitable death and minimize in as much as possible uh, any of his suffering. In other words, it was just to hasten his already uh, impending death. Adam Clark explained it this way really well, actually, in his commentary. He says, he was to all appearance mortally wounded when he begged his armor bearer to extinguish the remaining spark of life. Though this wound accelerated his death, yet it could not be properly the cause of it as he was mortally wounded before and did it on the conviction that he could not survive. He was actually looking for mercy at the hand of his armor bearer. He knew that uh, death was imminent. If you will just kind of bear with me, I, I've got to address this a question of suicide. And I want to attempt to answer this question with regards to suicide. Uh, maybe you know of somebody who has taken their own life and that question remains, um, are they in heaven? If you commit suicide, uh, are you lost for all eternity? Well, I'd like to try to address that. And I know that I, uh, in so doing, run the risk of providing an oversimplification, but I'm going to attempt nonetheless. Simply put, suicide is sin. And this by virtue of the fact that it's self-murder. When you think about the Bible, you think of amazing accounts like the creation of the cosmos, the slaying of Goliath by David, and the Red Sea being parted before the fleeing Israelites. What you don't often think about is genealogies, and yet hidden within the book of First Chronicles are some of the most amazing things right there in the genealogies. Now, of course, there's more than genealogies in the book of First Chronicles that we can learn from. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of First Chronicles right here on In Spirit and Truth. Now, maybe you'd like a copy of this message from Pastor J.D. to review. Check out InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. There you'll find all the information you need. 
You can listen to today's message, download today's message, or subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast. Just keep in mind today's date when you order. In Spirit and Truth is also available for your iPhone or Android smartphone. The In Spirit and Truth mobile app of your choice is available for free at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Each time you open the In Spirit and Truth mobile app, you'll have access to the most recent messages from Pastor J.D. You'll also find links to our YouTube channel and Facebook page at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. We encourage you to log on to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and get to know us better. In the next edition of In Spirit and Truth, Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through the book of First Chronicles. So please, place a marker in your Bibles and join us again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.